Hello and welcome to It's No Secret. I'm Christine. And I'm Kat. And today we are back with the first episode of our next season. Woohoo! Such a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, what does it mean now? A few months? Yeah. Yeah, we're back and better than ever, obviously. Um, Great so- yourself. <laughs> Sorry. Coming strong. Um, Okay, so you might be wondering what we've been up to. Firstly, let's start there since Mm -hmm. we um, last released our, well, since we released our latest episode. And in short, life has been a bit busy. So Kat has full-time mum, part-time marketing now. Yes. (laughs) As it stands. To change in future, and um, I am full-time busy. Yes, <laughs> with your job and life. Yeah, basically. Um, but we're back and we're here to stay, so that was a very brief update, but no There'll doubt. be more on that later. Yeah, exactly. So Today is not the day. Today is the day for Kiwis ever. Exactly. So today's episode, we will be answering the question of how can I better prepare my KiwiSaver for retirement? So before I talk on about that i'm going to straight jump straight to questions over to you cat so mm. what are three kind of hacks tips ways that i can improve my key saver yeah towards an- so the first one that we don't even have on here but i'm just going to say is the most <laughs> basic place to start is know where your key saver is um because as you would have known we did some research here at kernel um across our customer base and across new zealanders to find out how many people knew where their key saver was and so many people didn't know the key saver provider or the fund that they were invested in um so you really need to start with that and if you don't know i think the easiest ways to find out is um if you have like my ir you can log in because it'll be recorded with the IRD. Um, you could ask your employer because they're paying contributions there. You might be able to check on your pay slip. Um, if all of that doesn't result in anything, uh, heaven forbid, like call the IRD. Don't be mad at me if you're on hold for like four hours. But, yeah. you know, someone will know somewhere. So find out your fun first. Yeah, cool. So Love yeah, it. that's definitely the starting point. And so once I've found where it is, I should look at the type of fund in it? Absolutely. Yeah. So you probably then want to do a bit of like due diligence on what that KiwiSaver fund, either as like the provider, but then also what type of investment fund that's in as well. So um, how would we go about doing that? Jump on their website is pretty much the perfect place to start. Um, Make sure that you look for the right uh, fund information. So I guess hot tip is like a lot of KiwiSaver providers have KiwiSaver accounts and they also have investment accounts. And if you go onto their website, they'll have information for both of those type of accounts. And there may be similar names between the types of funds that could be a bit confusing. So just make sure that you're looking at the ones for KiwiSaver because they just, you know, they'll have different fees and that kind of stuff and potentially different performance. So definitely go and have a look there. Um, I guess in your case, Christine, let's say I know that your KiwiSaver is now a kernel, so I'm not going to use that as an example, but pre that, um, when you were, I guess, checking up on your KiwiSaver and stuff, like what were you doing? Yeah, good question. Well, I mean, I've been with three different providers in my whole KiwiSaver life, I guess. How long is your whole KiwiSaver life? Uh, Since I was 18. Yours is longer than mine because I've only been in KiwiSaver since I've been in New Zealand. So I have a very short KiwiSaver life. Nice, nice. Um, But you've been with how many? Two now and with my second. Yeah, nice. Cheated on my first. Yeah. I thought it was a better provider out there. On. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so my KiwiSaver life looks like I was automatically enrolled into a default fund with ASB. So ASB is my bank. And I didn't actually really engage with it until I started working in finance, which was when I was like 23, 24. Yeah. Did you see it on your ASB like internet banking app and stuff? I honestly can't really remember. I okay. think I probably did, but I was unaware of what that was. Mm. Um, yeah. Or maybe that was before the time that they ASB had an app. Like a great app. <laughs> like yeah. what is internet? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
And then uh, when the next change came, when I met Ollie, and he was like, you need to do something with this. Mm-hmm. Um, or actually, it was while I was at Hatch, and I moved to Simplicity. And then that kind of took it away from being with my bank, naturally. And yep. so I, I do remember it being like kind of another thing that I needed to log into. But it was pretty easy to find when you, I mean, you, how did I transfer? I think I remember trans. Fearing it going by going to Simplicity and asking mm. for it to be requested over. Yeah. And then create an account and then you can just check in periodically. And then yep. now obviously I'm with Kernel. So yep. that is where with my other investments and savings account, which is very convenient, definitely a selling point as well to have it all in one place. Yeah. It's one little login. Yeah. What yeah. about you? Um, a very similar journey. So I originally signed up with Simplicity. I remember Dean, when I got my job here, was like, oh, you're going to have to open a KiwiSaver. And I was like, oh, exciting. <laughs> like I'm sure no people that start jobs are like that excited about a KiwiSaver. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Um, and then I was like, well, there's basically just two passive providers and I'm going to work at a firm that offers passive investments. And I said to the guys on the team, who should I sign up with? And they're like, sign up with Simplicity because then we can scope what they're doing. <laughs> We're already with the other passive provider. So I was like, sweet, choice made. And look, that's probably a fairly flippant thing to do. But everyone, let's remember that I was, you know, starting with a balance of zero. I was not going to have very large contributions or, you know, much material money in there for a while. And I already had other retirement savings. So, you know, maybe do a little bit more DD than just like talking to your (laughs) co-workers and finding out. Yeah, exactly. But, of you know, when I did do my DD, it was basically just making sure that I understood what their fees were, um, having a look at their investment options. The nice thing about KiwiSaver for the most part is you have relatively simple options in most providers. I think Mm. Kernel has definitely expanded the scope there because we have a bit more like DIY ability than say Mm -hmm. Simplicity. You really just had like your three options to choose from. And for me, I knew that I couldn't use the house. uh, You couldn't use the money for a first house and it was something that I can't use until I'm 65. So it just made sense to have, you know, that kind of cuts out two of the options, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, this is my option. That's the growth fund. Um, Go from there. (laughs) Yeah, nice. Um, And so when you got that first KiwiSaver, you had already bought a house, right? Had you? Uh, no, not or not or in New Zealand, but in Australia we had. Yeah. But I think, funnily enough, like Luke and I, I think because we just we didn't really know what we were doing with the house and we had other retirement savings, we were both just of the mind that we wouldn't be able to use our KiwiSaver for a first home. In hindsight, we possibly could have, but mm. um, we were just, I don't know, we just didn't also. really think about it, to be fair. Um, and we were just, you know, because also Luke didn't have very much money in his KiwiSaver, because he had only worked in New Zealand for a short time, then moved to Australia and then come back. For the two of us, we were like, well, as the whole, you know, as a percentage of our whole financial situation, mm. it's relatively small at this point. We obviously want it to get bigger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the starting point, we just weren't too stressed. It was more about like, let's just enroll in something so that we can get the government contribution, which is exactly your point. Because, yeah, you absolutely need to be um, making contributions so that you also get the government contribution as a working person. Mm-hmm. And how much is the government contribution? It's just over $1,042, which is actually pretty great. And I will say, um, you know, in Australia, you don't get government contributions in your superannuation, but you do get tax breaks. So there's a different right. incentive to save for your retirement, whereas this is just like, it's just free money. Mm. And I know, I feel like poor Sarah at the One Up Project always gets this when she talks <laughs> about KiwiSaver on TikTok and people are like, it's a scam. There's no such thing as free money. But it is technically so yes. yeah I, I just i mean hey yeah it is yeah and i there's a common saying right around the specific contribution is when you do deposit 
put in half of what that number is, that's essentially a hundred percent return on your money. Correct. Right? Which is yeah. 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 So I guess for anyone that's not really sure, you know, you have to make a minimum contribution amount in order to be eligible to receive that contribution from the government. But once you've done that, um, and if you're a full time worker, it will probably be relatively easy for you to uh, reach that number just from your like standard 3%. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. The other thing is, is, you know, most people only get the 3% from their employer if they're also contributing. And so for me, I'm like, well, why would I waste that money? Like that 3% is not necessarily something that your employer would otherwise pay in your total remuneration if you Mm -hmm. opted out of KiwiSaver. Most employers don't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, if you weren't enrolled and you weren't contributing that's three percent a year from your employer that you're also missing out on yeah definitely and some employers are even better (laughs) i know i think luke gets four percent from new zealand so that's just it's just and i mean it's a small amount like an extra one percent but we're like oh again like Uh, why not Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to go back a step yep. because I have some questions around the checking, you know, fund. the funds and sure. then more around, I guess, these are kind of things that recently I've heard or people have asked. Um, so what how many times should I switch? Like, is, is there a kind of a number that is too much? And like, you you've know, used up three <laughs> options. You can never switch again. Yeah, is that what you you're checking? Oh, this is such a good question. Okay. So I think broadly speaking, and this is obviously not personal advice because we would need to know very deep details about your situation, but broadly speaking, you shouldn't be chopping and changing your investments on a whim. Mm. There should be some kind of, um, prompt for you to do that. Um, And I think in your case, Christine, the prompt was you went down the journey of being more aware of what you wanted to be invested in. And then you found other providers that were more aligned to the goals and what you wanted to use your KSR for. So that's a very genuine reason to change. Similarly, your secondary reason was um, you found a provider that you were happy with, but then an alternative came out that offered a like better price point and slightly better options and you could consolidate with your current investments and so that's also a great range uh, great reason to switch Mm-hmm. The other thing I will say with that is in that instance with your switching, you're only switching providers. You're not switching between investment types. So you're going from, say, ASB to Simplicity and potentially, you know, an ASB growth fund to a Simplicity growth fund. So your underlying investments haven't changed because mm-hmm. your goal for that money hasn't changed. Yeah. Um where people run into trouble is where they are switching between, you know, high growth and then balanced and then conservative and then growth based on things that are happening in the news headlines or markets mm-hmm. as opposed to things that are happening in their own life. So mm-hmm. for the vast majority of people, there would only be a couple of times in your life when you would switch actual investment options. So from something that's, you know, more high growth to something that's more conservative. And it might be things like, I'm coming up to when I want to use the money to buy a house. Mm. Um, I'm coming up to retirement. Um, I've done the opposite and I have now bought a house and I now don't need that money at all for another like 25, 30, 35 years. Mm. Um, They would be reasons that you would look at switching the investment option. Yeah, cool. Okay. And uh, within that, quite a specific question, but let's say I was doing exactly what I did where Mm -hmm. I went from a simplicity growth fund to a kernel high growth fund. What if I did that when the market was going like down? down? Yeah. Does that have an impact? That is a good question. Um, So... Let's talk about why you'd be concerned about that first. So what you would be concerned about as an investor when you're switching from one to another is what's called your like out of the market time. So, you know, in in essence, to actually do that, you need to, well, not you, but your product provider (laughs) needs to sell your investments out of one account 
give that money to the IRD, that money then goes to your new provider and that new provider then needs to invest it. Now, that can... I think under current legislation take up to about 14 days. Mm-hmm. Um, for many people, it actually is a lot shorter. Like the processes of all the providers is a lot faster and it could happen within, you know, a couple of business days. Um, however, people do really get stressed out about being out of the market for that period of time. Now, that is valid if we had like a World War Three event in the five days that you were out of the market, right? It, mm. There would have to be something pretty significant to have happen, which would be horrifically unlucky timing for you. Mm. Um, and the reason I say that is because you're still going from growth assets to growth assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so hypothetically, you should be selling a very similar bunch of companies or shares in one fund and then buying them back a few days later in another fund without too much market movement in between those two days. Mm. So you shouldn't be worried about it too much. Um, Where people do worry about it is when you're changing from, you know, balanced to high growth or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, for me, well, the question I would put back to people is like, well, when are you going to do it? Mm. How how do you know that next week is going to be the time that you're going to have 10 days of clear market just being flat and chill as um, so that you can switch your KiwiSaver? You don't. That's why we're on this podcast and not like millionaires. Um, But, you know, so it's like if you are always put off from making any decisions based on that kind of stuff, then you're not ever going to make a decision. Yeah. yeah. Right? Love it. Love the stern words. Correct. (laughs) Don't be sitting on the sidelines just forever waiting for the day because the day will never come (laughs) exactly okay love it i just merged four questions into one perfect we're off to good start okay next one what is number three keeps ever hack um i think it would be really knowing about your contributions so we touched on a little bit of this earlier around like obviously making sure that you are contributing um the three percent to make sure you also get your employer's um percentage and then also knowing things like if your employer does offer a higher percentage often that requires you to contribute as a higher percentage so mm-hmm. in luke's instance to get the four percent from our new zealand he needs to do four percent so if asked we're like that makes sense because he does a bit extra he gets more extra like that's all good yeah. um but yeah as people may know you have the option to contribute three, four, six, or ten percent. Um, and when you think about this holistically, and we've talked about this on a prior episode, three percent per year is not enough. We we pretty much know this definitively um, for you to save enough for a comfortable retirement. In comparison, uh, the current mandated contribution from employers in Australia for employees is twelve percent per year. And that's usually on top of people's salary. So if you're on a salary package of $70,000 a year, you then get an additional 12% a year paid into your superannuation. That is much closer to an amount that is actually going to help people get to their retirement. There's a big gap between 3 and 12. Mm. And you can't withdraw it for your KiwiSaver as well. So it's solely yep. focused on retirement. On retirement, exactly, for the for the most part in most situations. So, um, yeah. So I think it's definitely worthwhile thinking about um what you can afford in terms of your current situation because obviously Mm -hmm. if you are contributing 10% versus 3%, you have less take-home pay Mm -hmm. um, to cover your lifestyle and that might feel really scary and expensive right now. So that's something to consider. But also I would argue that 
retiring at 65 and transitioning from a lifestyle that you're used to of, say, spending $80,000 a year and then being confronted with having to spend $40,000 a year may also be equally challenging. So it is that trade-off of, you know, future you and current you. Yeah. Um, I was actually just thinking about this before because I recently paid off my student loan and that's 12.5%, oh, yes. right? Fun, fun, fun. Yeah. And for those of you who might have listened to previous podcasts, we've talked about how I have not done anything with this money and just let lifestyle great take over. How's that working out? Yeah, not great. (laughs) But do you know what? It's so funny because you think I was able to go without that money before, yet when I Mm. have that in cash, I somehow managed to go and spend it. So why not think about like, okay, well, how do I put that into an investment or a fixed kind of AP where I can't get that money back? And so I have actually been thinking about increasing my KiwiSaver contributions Mm. because then I don't have the option of pulling that out. Exactly. In the same, you know, way that we've talked about the trade-off between being able to get that money for a first home in retirement mm. versus an investment um, account where you can have, have control. Have time. Yeah. Like I, I think where I've landed is yep. I'm going to try to have both to equal out at about that 20% of my salary. Obviously not achievable for everyone, but it's worth thinking about. Absolutely. As a consideration of your contribution as to how that fits across your whole portfolio and other investment yeah. accounts and things like that. Absolutely. Um, I think it's worth highlighting some of these fun stats that you've done here because I <laughs> shout out to the Sorted website. They have some great calculators. I can see that Christine has basically just plugged in um, to their calculator, which is their KiwiSaver 1, uh, what the difference in balance you would have at retirement between contributing, say, 3% and 10%. And the difference in terms of the lump sum that you end up with at 65 is almost $400,000 difference, i.e. you'd have $400,000 more by contributing 10% per annum of your um, income Mm. for your whole working life. Now, that may seem like a really high bar, and I think it would be an awesome thing for people to work towards. But also don't forget that like you can flex that over time, right? So right now, Christine is a great example of she doesn't have any children, she doesn't have a mortgage, like she's got this money back from her student loan, it would make some sense for her to increase her KiwiSaver contribution because she can do that. Whereas me, I am currently not getting paid. <laughs> I have a baby to pay for. <laughs> really messed, messed up. No, it's not. It's great. Um, it would be a little bit unfeasible for me at this stage to think about like increasing to 10% this year, but it's certainly something that I could return to in future years when I'm back at work and I guess we're a little bit more on top of like what a family expense is. Yeah, or like have a consistently forecasted kind of yeah, income, hopefully. Yeah, and that's the nice thing is like you can change it. Like it's not like you have to pick something and that's set for life. Yeah, yeah. And I will point out to that note that this calculation does have a couple of caveats and that it doesn't really factor for things like career breaks. It also assumes mm. that you'll die at 90 when we know that women are yeah. living to much longer. Yeah. So yeah, take it with a grain of salt, but also know that it is a significant difference. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And to round it out, we're going to add a 3B. Point <laughs> 3B to think about. Yeah, not a 4, a 3B. Okay. Um, that is fees. Yes. You kind of touched on this earlier. Do you yes. want to elaborate a little yep. bit on that? I do. So I'm going to approach this slightly differently to how we've talked about fees in the past. So we Ooh, often talk about the reason you want to start with KiwiSaver as early as possible is because the number one thing that's on your side is time 
right? So if you enroll as you did like when you're 18 and you can't touch that money until you're 65, let's just ignore the first time thing for now, then you have time on your side to compound those returns and basically maximize your growth. Now that's a positive compounding effect. Fees have the exact same effect, but in the opposite i.e. in the negative. So the higher the fees are that you pay um, over such a long period of time, they can compound in the negative to really eat into your retirement savings. Now, that's not to say that we should all just like cry out and tell every QS ever provider that we're not going to pay them any fees because that's very unfeasible. <laughs> also, I'd like to keep my job. Yeah, um, keep the lights on. <laughs> but, but it does, uh, I think, warrant you know, as we talked about in the start, being one of those things that you think about when you're considering various different providers um, and doing your due diligence. Mm -hmm. So, Christine, you're switching between different providers. Did you look at like fees and would you know what is, I guess, a good value fee? Yeah, good question. So not when I moved. Well, I think it was actually quite a big factor in every decision, but I probably couldn't tell you the exact fee of each one. Yep. I just knew generally what they're kind of yeah, like the the gap is between them. So yep. ASB to simplicity, I'm gonna have hazard a guess from memory. It was about like the one ish percent to mm-hmm. then one point three ish percent mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from simplicity to kernel was also then lower from yep. memory. Um, yep. And so, yeah, it was a big factor. I didn't work out over time what that would equate to, but at the same time, you know, that f- management fee is on the base of what your Kiwi Saver amount is. Yes. So it does get larger over time and I'm, yes. you know, yep. lower fees. But I will say, you know, the argument around um, return after fees. Yes. What do you have to say oh, about that? That's a great question. Someone asked me this last week at a presentation. Oh, yeah, so nice. <laughs> hot topic. Um, because they were like, how how would I assess? Like, how would I assess if my KBSA has been good? You know, should I just look at performance? And the thing is, is sure, we could just look at performance and we could say, hey, that KBSA provider did really well in the last three years, but we have no guarantee that they're going to do that for the next 10 years. And mm-hmm. let's be real, for you and I, it's a really long-term thing. We need to know that that person's going, well, that fund provider is going to perform for the next 25 years, 35 years. It's a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do know, however, is that we can make a choice around fees and fees will impact things. So when you're looking at stuff, yes, you want to be looking at the after fee performance because it gives you a fairer comparison between different funds, uh, either within a provider or within different providers. Mm -hmm. Um, But in addition to that, you actually more want to be assessing a provider as to if they are delivering on the after fee performance close to their benchmark, which is what they're pegging their performance against. So what do I mean by that? You know, Christine's promising me that she's going to give me 10% a year based on this benchmark that she likes. (laughs) (laughs) I go in and see that the benchmark did in fact get 10% over the last year and I can see that she delivered 12% before fees but then the fees were 1%, therefore she delivered 11%. So I'd look at that and I'd be like, cool, I got she did 11% and the benchmark was 10%. 
okay, they're performing well based on their benchmark. Yeah. But as we know, the reality is is that's not often the way yes, that the yeah. equation falls. <laughs> it's often in the negative. Um, so, yeah, I think with fees it's more around um, making sure that you are comfortable with it, i.e. I would just be absolutely not comfortable to even consider something that I'm probably paying over 1% for because mm-hmm. I don't think that that's reasonable. Um, but then once you decide that is then also assessing after fee performance against benchmarks. Yeah, cool. And you, the question that you asked me was about like, how do you know quality? Yeah. yeah. How, how would you decide? So yeah. I guess I just said, I'm like, mine's yeah. like 1%, but that's just, I guess I have an insider scoop as to like how much stuff costs <laughs> yeah. in the financial services world. Yeah. Um, but you know, other people, you talk to them and they're like, well, I really love active management and I'm happy to pay one and a half to 2%. Mm. Yeah, and in the same way that I mentioned before about having everything with one place, for me that is a selling point of having it with Kernel is that I do have it beside my investments and so I only have to log into one platform. Exactly. And then in the and same it's still way cheap. With your bank. Exactly, so <laughs> one, win, one. <laughs> yeah, but I, I actually on the fees thing, I think the other thing then is, you know, it is also about what's your reference point because some people will be happy paying higher fees for what they deem is a mm. good active management service versus then you have people that look at our passive options in New Zealand like Kernel or simplicity mm. and cry out that you know 0.25 or 0.31 or whatever it might be is too expensive because they're looking at some of the Vanguard funds based out of the US which is 0.02%. Now let's not forget some of those funds are bigger than the entire New Zealand <laughs> share market. So perspective people um, that's the number one thing uh-uh. but also just I think you know you have to reconcile yourself with what's realistic with where we are. We can't compare ourselves to other markets because mm. that's just not realistic. Yeah, definitely. I had another thought on quality and I've completely forgotten it. I think it was something to do with um, like the lowest fees are not always, you know, the highest quality with things like tracking error and tracking Correct. difference and um, tax efficiency and all those yep. kind of intricate intricacies. Intricacies, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why you need to do the post-fee performance review, yep. I think. Um, because that gives you a fairer assessment of performance irrespective of how much the provider's charging, um, and then you can kind of decide from there. Yeah, nice. Love it. Love it. Cool. Well, (sighs) any parting thoughts on that one? Look, I think just, you know, knowing about your KiwiSaver and taking some action if this is something that you haven't looked at for quite some time is definitely valid. Um, And then after that, once it's set up, as we said at the start, you know, unless you have life events that dictate you changing something, really trying to switch off as much as possible because the reality is for most of us, we can't look at it or use it for, you know, 25, 30 years. Yeah, nice. Don't over-engage. <laughs> yes, actually, I will say on that because someone asked me last week, Kat, should I be stressed that my QSaver is down 10% in the last, like, month? And I'm like, well, Matt, you're in your 30s. Is 65 you g- going to care about what happened, like, a month ago? Probably not. No. I don't think you're even going to remember. Yeah. So not that's today, my answer. <laughs> no. Not today. Not next week. Probably. In 40 years' time, you can start to think about that. So zoom out a little bit. Yep, yeah, definitely. Nice. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Kat. No worries. Love Great this chat. chat with you. Great yeah. comeback by oh. us. Straight into the hot topics with Kiwi Saber. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, love it. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next Tuesday. See you then. Bye. Bye.